Welcome to Where I Come From, a podcast devoted to Nebraska sports figures and the life experiences that shaped them. I'm your under-the-weather host, Dirk Chatlin, and this week's guest is college basketball official John Higgins. We talked about growing up with thick skin in a big Omaha family, the difference between a good ref and a great ref, how the job has changed in 30 years, why he gives more technicals than most refs, and why his wife wants him to quit. That's the first time I ever put a whistle in my mouth. Because he said, oh, we're going to get paid 20 bucks. I'm like, golly, 20 bucks, raise my hand. That's a lot of beer money, I thought. The very first Missouri-Iowa um, State game was at Missouri, and Norm Stewart wanted to kill me. And it doesn't matter if you get to play 100% right. The fans are still booing. Oh, yeah. You get the fans, it's like, wait a second. We got to play right, and 10,000 people are killing you because there's only 70,000 people out there, and there's 60, like 60 or 70 million people uh, watching on TV. You just like, I have to go to the restroom real quick. That was the best game, the funnest game uh, I've ever had. This is where I come from. No, that, well, hey, I'm telling you, I, I, I think about this every single time I go into arena now. Where am I going to go if some guy starts shooting? I think about it all the time. Because I'm telling you, and mate, you you doing the same thing as being in the media. I have a ba- I have a big bag that I walk in with me in a in a backpack. They just, I say, referees, okay, go ahead. Think about some guy that that figures that out. Bag of explosives or whatever. A referee walks in there, waits until it's you know, the, the place is full and detonates something like that. Think about that. It's going to happen. It's someday. going to happen. It's a matter of when. It's going to happen. This is a strange place to start a podcast, but I've been at John Higgins' house for 90 minutes, and we've spent part of that time discussing the vitriol directed at officials in the social media age. It was Higgins back in March who received death threats and hundreds of messages from Kentucky fans following the Cats' regional final loss to North Carolina. Higgins doesn't want to talk about that. He's filed a lawsuit against a Kentucky media company. But when I suggest a connection to increased anger in America, it hits home for one of college basketball's best officials. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in a basketball arena. That it's, it's, and that would be the, that would be the easiest place to do it at. It's confined space. Um, how easy? I mean, you get a thousand people like that. It's scary. And I, I've, I, every time I go into arena now, actually, I, I, I look, hey, where, if I'm somewhere, where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? And that's a scary thought. In 2009, uh, George Clooney released a movie called Up in the Air that was based partly in Omaha. And I was thinking of that movie today as I was imagining your travel schedule over the next five months. Uh, and I, I noticed that you live about seven minutes from the airport, which must help you a little bit. But uh, c- can you sort of take me through a typical travel week for John Higgins in November through March? Well, yeah, I can. Uh, starts like this Friday. It starts for me at least. I go from here to. I don't want to give you all the places I go to, but I go from here to 
uh, state of Colorado. Then I go to um, the next day I go to uh, Vegas, and the next day I go to Portland. The following day I go to Salt Lake City. Uh, the following day I go to L.A. for two days, and then after that I go down to Charleston for um, four days for a tournament. Then to the, then after that the Cayman Islands, and after that I fly back to Destin, Florida, fly to Des Moines, do a game there, and then drive home. And then I drive down to Kansas State or something like that. I, I think that's Are about you my schedule. All this up? I set it all up, yeah. yeah. How does it years get... years ago, I used to have a travel agent do it, and then she screwed up once, and he sent me to the wrong city. <laughs> I fell asleep on the plane. No, no kidding. I fell asleep on the plane, and I think I'm going to Dallas, and I end up going to Houston. I'm, now I'm scrambling to find us get get way back to Dallas. Luckily, I got back there, but. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Who, this organ- time. who organizes what games you do? Because I kind of organize them myself now. How, do you, um, how, do you, how does that work? Well, supervisors from different leagues. I work for several different leagues now. Um, supervisors, they they'll send out games to you. Um, I try. I, now I can kind of pick and choose my games, which is kind of a nice deal. So I can go to a region like I start out the West Coast and I work five, six days in a row, and I go just you know where I don't have to take two planes to get somewhere. I just take one. So I kind of set up my own schedule. and uh, So you're high enough on the pecking order where you can tell a supervisor of officials in the Pac-12 or whatever that, hey, these are the games I want to do. Basically, I want to say, I'm going to, I'm, I'll work for you for these five days or six days in a row. Just okay. to make sure I don't have, if I have a, a plane ride, uh, it would, which is good going out the West Coast because I can go, there's a lot of times I have a trip out there where I got three, three games in, in one city. USC, UCLA, and uh, maybe uh, Long Beach or something like that. So I try to do that as much as I can. But in, in the beginning of the year, in November and December, where they don't play a lot of league games, um, it's kind of hard to do that. But I still try to. I still give the supervisors five, six days where I can, um, where I'll, I'll go in a row for them. And most most of the time, majority of the time, those guys are in certain regions where I'll go. West Coast. That guy, the guy that has the West Coast goes uh, anywhere from anywhere Denver West. He's got every league, every school out there. Oh, okay. So which is a good deal. Now he can boom, 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 boom. So which is great. And then I'll, then I'll go work um, three, four games for the Big Twelve guy, which has three. He has that league, Conference USA, and those are the only two leagues that really work for him. And that. Then I'll work. Then I'll go down to work in the ACC. Uh, that region, Atlantic Ten, Big East. I'll do all that kind of, kind of in a little pod system where I can go to regions and for three, four, five days. So I, yeah, it's. How many nights are you home from November tenth to March tenth, April fifth, whatever? Mm, well, I mean, is it like one night a week? It's sometimes, yeah, one, two nights a week, maybe. Because you're doing five or six games a week, right? Yeah, I do around five, six games a week. Yeah. You ever do seven games a week? No, I have. Yeah. I mean, to start the year in November, I could work every day if I wanted to. I could work. I could work 120 games if I if I really wanted to. I wanted to push it. Now my body would say, I'm getting to that age where it's not it's not so uh, easy anymore. So, but you could do it every night if you wanted to. If you know, 
if they wanted to, uh, and there's not a lot, not there's not a ton of people out there that they want guys every single night, but you could do it. There's a guy Steve Wilmer used to do it. I mean, he used to work 120 games a year. And you're doing about 90. I do around 90 to 100 ish. I think last year I might have been 100, maybe. Uh, spend a lot of time on orbits booking 6 a.m. flights, huh? I spend a lot of time on. You know what? Most of the time, though, I do it. I do it preseason. Like I know my schedule schedule basically right now for the whole season. So I get on at, when I'm home at night or whatever. If I got an hour or two here or there, I go to my schedule. And now I've, I've got I've gotten pretty good at it because I've, I'm used to it. I hit. I know the flights. I know the codes for the airports and and to know the the uh, the the Marriotts that I'm staying at. And I just kind of. <laughs> It's pretty. It's it's really not as bad as it, it used to be because when I, you, you know you didn't know all the cities and the codes and all that stuff. Now I can. You got enough Marriott points to buy a Marriott, I bet. Well, I got enough. I got enough. If my wife kicks me out after twenty seven years, then uh, I got a place to stay for a while. <laughs> uh, it's. Do you enjoy the 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 travel part of it, and you know travel? I don't really enjoy okay. it so much. Did you ever? Yeah, at first it was like, hey, this is fun. I'm in a different city, and I'm going to, hell, I'm going to Vegas. And my wife would always say, um, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, uh, really don't do anything. You go, you know, you get to the city. You get to your place at 9, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. You, you kind of bed down, do some work for, make phone calls back to the office and back home. And by the time you go have a little lunch, take a nap, and, you know, you may have to drive two, three hours to your game. Or it might be in the city or... You know, I might get a little workout in before I go to, to to the arena, and then you're done with the game. You get there an hour and a half, two hours before the game starts. Do the game. There's two hours, and then nine, ten o'clock at night, you're going back. And you want to hit the sack because you got a four thirty or five o'clock wake up call. Do you still get excited? You know, walking into an arena with fourteen thousand people or not? Oh yeah, you, you know, you just said that. I get you know, getting kind of get goosebumps. Uh, just thinking about going into into the arena. That's what really kind of keeps you going and, and, and gets you going. The travel that beats you up, that wears you out. The media stuff, kind of, you know, they, you know, you're the worst human being in, in, in on the face of this planet. And and uh, but when you go into the arena, you kind of get that the juices going and, and your competitive fire going, and it, it gets you excited. It, it I won't lie. There's and there's now there's arenas where you go in there and there's 100 people there 200 people there now that's hard that you got to get mentally focused and, and that's a challenge um that's a real challenge but uh you know the big arenas when you got 10 15 thousand people screaming at you that's that's kind of fun that you kind of you, you like that when did your skin get thick probably when i was a little kid with my dad and my brothers and you know i had a whole bunch of older brothers and sisters and my dad was a football basketball principal at the high school over here at the cathedral high school and, and uh, we all grew up and he was a real big man he got drafted in the nfl and he was the football coach and he was they were pretty tough on us so i think probably started back then and then the nuns that taught me in, in grade school they they made you tough for example uh, Oh, they well, they you know knock you up, put your face on the chalkboard, and knock you from behind, and, and bloody your nose, and and then you know at those days, nobody said anything. It was it was okay, and I didn't say anything. Only one time when the when the nun broke my nose and it bloodied it all over my brand new shirt, but other than that, it was it was they they can do anything back then. But uh, I think I think you know. Getting thick-skinned is part of being, I think, of being a good referee. 
it's kind of like being a good writer or a good or you there's going to be everybody's going to take shots at you and it's part of part of it and you can't listen to it like i don't do any of the facebook any of that kind of stuff and the social media i don't do any of that kind of stuff i'll, I'll watch sports shows and this and that but uh, that's just part of the game i think it's uh, uh, of course it you know there's there's lines to be crossed and, and not crossed and uh, and uh, you know in, in like we talked about a little earlier with the big arenas you don't really hear and you hear a bunch of mumbled yeah everybody's screaming hollering and booing at you but you don't hear one guy right it's in the arenas where you have 200 people that you hear <laughs> it's like when you go into a little kids game you hear the, there's that one parent over there screaming hollering at the referee and, and their kid um but I, you know, I think it's just come over time, and I've learned by a lot of really good um, referees um, that that to just to keep that stuff out of it, focus on what your your task is, and, and move forward. Now, in some ways, the social media age has been really hard on people like you. Um, in other ways, I wonder if that if it's actually made people. Um, you know, less inspired to heckle because, you know, sometimes those people can be on video too. Uh, is it is it harder than it used to be? I mean, I know back in, I mean, I remember stories from, you know, the Hearn Center back in the 80s and 90s when it was just, I mean, maybe we can get into some of that. Oh, yeah. But is it better now or is it worse? I think it's worse now. Really? Yeah, I do. I think it's, I think with, you know, we can't, as a referee, you'd love to say something to that fan or, or to that uh, or anybody on the side, anybody. You'd love to say whatever you'd like to say. But because those those videos and you say one thing, say the wrong thing, and you see you later, you're fired. Uh, yeah, I think it's gotten worse. Back then, uh, back when I first started, it wasn't, you didn't have any of that stuff. And you didn't. You could get away with a lot more that back then that you can now. Chirping back to fans. Oh yeah, you can talk to them like a baseball umpire would talk to a coach or a player. You could talk to them that way, and there, and there are certain coaches you can talk that way now. But it'd be you know every you watch every every baseball player and coach and football coach and all that they all they have their mouths covered. <laughs> they all do. Coaches do. Basketball coaches do. They all have their mouths covered. You watch, they, they, and there's things that you know they don't want everybody to hear, and and I understand that. The commentary from the stands hasn't gotten worse. It's just your ability to react to it. Correct. Yeah, I don't think it's got it. It it hasn't changed. And I remember the time you were talking about Hearn Center. that Missouri. Missouri. I was working uh, uh, Missouri and... uh, It was Missouri and Iowa State, and and they thought we were so bad at halftime. At least the the fans on the one end, we, we got peppered with hot dogs and... (laughs) <laughs> and I had ketchup and mustard. I didn't have another shirt on, and and my partner was he was he was mad, and he got he actually got hurt. And some guy came in from the administration from University of Missouri, and I was chewing his butt about the fans and how poor it's run, so on and so forth. He goes, I just I'm just here to see this guy. I'm a doctor. I said I apologize to the guy, and, and but that was but that that's that happened back then. Nowadays, if you know if I think. There's so many video cameras everywhere. You can't you can't do that kind of stuff. And right. if you do, they catch you and and get rid of you, which is a good thing. What are the other ones that stand out from from back in the day like that? Oh boy, um, 
Hmm. When you write your book, what are you gonna what are you gonna include? Well, the first, I know. Well, I don't know if what I'll include or what I won't include. There's a lot of things I wouldn't. But uh, <laughs> um, I mean, the first game I ever worked where the uh, where I, I it was a Creighton it was a Creighton exhibition game where playing against the Russians or somebody some foreign team and and the the referee they had two of Americans and one of them would travel with their team. And the coach was really, I mean, he was brutal. And at towards the end, I, uh, this official didn't have, you can ask, uh, Tony, it was either Tony Brony or Dana Altman's first year. And the referee had not made one single call against his team. And he was just giving it to Creighton. So I, so uh, at the end of the, at, at when it was, actually the, the team wouldn't come out and so we left we quit the game about a minute to go two minutes ago in the game we forfeit, they forfeited the game oh, wow. so I went in when we went to all sharing the locker room so I went to the locker room and I took his bag out and I threw it outside because I, I I can't tell you what I said to him because he probably didn't understand me so <laughs> but uh, anyway that was that was a fun that was a fun deal um, and it wasn't fun it was kind of it was kind of frightening because I was early in my career and I was a referee crew chief on the game and you know I was in front of the home crowd and it was Dana's first year or I had to be Dana's first year yeah it had to be so so you know look how long ago that has been so have you ever been uh have you ever been concerned for your well-being uh oh yeah yeah there were several times you you're concerned oh yeah Mm -hmm. like when um it was after a Big 12 game, Texas A&M at Baylor, um, leaving the arena, and you you had people lining up that took pot shots at you, and a guy followed us, and we skedaddled and, and followed us, I mean, following us, driving back to Dallas, so we had to end up, we called the police, and uh, no, I mean, he ended up, we turned off real quick, and then, uh, and then he kept going on the highway on the way back. So it was, you know, that was kind of scary. You thought, oh boy, what's this guy going to do? You don't know. And of course, this past year, um, um, with what happened uh, in that NCAA tournament game with, with the with the fan base, it was, uh, that was very scary for myself, my family, our business, my employees. That was pretty, uh, it was pretty intense. I know you don't want to get into that too much, but does that make you, when you're getting phone calls and death threats at the office, does that does that make you say the heck with it? I don't want to do this anymore, or does it, or do you just kind of know that that comes with the territory? Well, um, it's it, it it's it was close. My wife wants me quit. That's for sure. Um, she does want you to quit. Yeah, she does. And uh, and that's it's you know just that part of it. But my competitive part is you know I'm not going to let them deter what I um, what I do, and I I think I do it pretty decently. Um, obviously, it wasn't that bad because the NCAA chose me to go to the Final Four. So uh, so I know it's it's fans, and I know that. And, and you know, but there's a there's a, obviously a line that can't be crossed and some of those things were crossed in in our opinion and and uh, so but that's that uh i still have a fire for it but i, I don't i don't know i don't know when that day will come and that day will come and it will hit you and, and i think and i'll say okay i've had enough I'll, I'll, time to move on i'll go back to do what i 
to, and things I really like to enjoy, like go travel somewhere and where it's warm and <laughs> not cool like it is here today. You are the second youngest of nine kids. Mm-hmm. Eight, eight, actually ten, but two of them died when they were um, infants. Okay. Or, uh, uh, yeah, two of them are died. Uh, did Miscarriage, you, did, I believe. Did you, have your own, did you have your own bedroom growing up? No, gosh, no. <laughs> no, heck no. We never had our own bedroom. Um, Where'd you grow up? 3836 California Street. 3836 California. Two so blocks from here. Two blocks away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, nobody had their own bedroom. No, no air conditioning. Well, we had a window air in our living room downstairs. Uh, and then there's a... Uh, my mom and dad used to have one to, in their rooms, but other than that, we didn't have any air conditioning. And we all slept down in the basement or, or in front of the air conditioner on the living room floor. Your dad was a coach? Coach, yeah. Teacher and coach over at Cathedral High School. Then he went to Bryan. Then he finished up the last 20 years at Ron Collie Catholic. What about your mom? My mom was a nurse. Nurse. She was in Methodist Hospital. She'd walk to here at work from 11 to 7. And then uh, I could always remember sleeping during the day. I'd come home from school and she'd wake up, and that's that's what I remembered. She worked nights. She worked nights, eleven to seven. Eleven to seven at night. Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a tough tough way. Of course, when you have that many kids, it's uh, you you got to put food on the table. The uh, your your sports influences growing up. Were were who your dad? I my dad, my and brothers, your older brothers, yeah, and sisters, yeah, yeah. They were all, they're all athletes. We had uh, we had our own keys to the gym. Really? Oh yeah, we had heck, we had great weekends. Uh, kick the or not kick the can. We had kick the can games, but great weekends. We get all the neighbors back in the day. We had you know we were we were small family. Or my best friend was had fifteen kids in his family. <laughs> And uh, you know, there's a boatload of people around here at ten to fifteen kids. So we would we'd get a, the keys, go to the school, uh, open up the gym. We'd have one person keeping the clock, and we'd have twenty, thirty kids in there. We'd play pickup games. And then what? What my dad didn't realize that the keys also had the keys to the candy and pop room downstairs. So we'd. <laughs> Go down there and raid the candy and pop machine. That was that was fun. Then you get a bill at home, I bet. No, I, mean, they, I don't think that. Well, they might have known, but uh, nobody ever said anything to us. But that was a lot of fun growing up. Your brothers were good players. I mean, I don't know, I don't know about your sisters, but your brothers were really good players. Oh gosh, yeah. My brother uh, Tim was an All American, Carney for three years. Got drafted by uh, Golden State Warriors. Um, he got drafted with in the tenth round. With uh, Joe Barry Curry was the last one cut. My brother Kelly was a baseball um, player. He got he he played uh, in the minor leagues, California Angels, I believe. He was a he was an All American football player, at the University of South Dakota. And my brother Mike, my oldest brother, was a football player at Doan College. They were all good athletes. They won state championships and stuff. I was the I was the bad one. Although I was an All State basketball player. I was going to say you were twenty and nine at, at yeah. Cathedral. Yeah, I was an All State basketball player, but uh, I was just I. I wasn't that great. I was just worked harder than a lot of people. You were a six foot one post player. Basically, I was. I was. We had. We had. I was our biggest guy, and uh, but we were. We we were pretty good. We're not bad for a bunch of little guys. You grew up, um, you know, sixties and seventies in Omaha. Uh, was was Cathedral kind of? Did, did you venture out much? I mean, no. Was t- if you went past Seventy Second Street, you were lucky. Going to Boys Town was like it was like an all day trip. It seemed like, <laughs> and now it's the center of Omaha. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, 
Yeah, we, we didn't venture out much. If we went to Crossroads, we'd take the bus, get on Dot Street, take, go to Crossroads. And didn't travel much as a family either? No. Uh, we'd summertime, we might go for a maybe a, a family vacation, maybe once maybe once a summer, maybe. Maybe for three, four, five days we'd go. Not not very often, though, because there so, you know, we had so many, so many kids, and it was so hard. You couldn't have enough, you know, enough vehicles, and everybody couldn't drive, obviously. So, but no, we didn't do a lot of that family vacation stuff. It was fun, though, when we did. We we tended and, and did that stuff, so it was it was good good growing up. You didn't officiate a basketball game until um, until you went to Kearney State, right? Correct. You, you played a little bit at Carney State. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were pretty good in those days. We were really good, yeah. 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 I was just a scrub player, but I played here and there. I was a defensive guy, but we were really good. We had really – every year where I was there, we were um, – we went to a national tournament. We uh, we always beat our, our rival, Hastings College, to go to the – NIA national tournament. Hopefully, some of my buddies that I was play say, pick a ball with or can hear this. Now I'm going to get some emails from Hastings. Oh, absolutely, Dave Fletcher, some of those guys. Okay, so the first first time you get, you get a whistle in your hand is when I was a I was finishing school at Kearney, and uh, I was actually I was done playing. It was the next year, and that the the JV team, uh, the freshman team was playing the junior college team, and they didn't show up. And Coach Heaser. Uh, the refs didn't show. The up. referees didn't show up, and he asked guys if, if somebody wants to referee, and that's the first time I ever put a whistle in my mouth. Because he said, it was, "I don't know, we're going to get paid twenty bucks." I'm like, "Golly, twenty bucks!" Raised my hand. That's a lot of beer money. I thought so. <laughs> um, that was fun. You liked it? I, I liked it. Yeah. And then I came back, and um, and then Paul Caster, uh, Whitey Caster, was a longtime referee in town here, which got me into Division One. He said, you ought to try refereeing some. So he got me into rec ball. Bobby Harold, I remember Bobby Harold, the baseball coach. He was a, he used to assign for a, a, a Christian league, like a 10-team Christian league. So I'd go work three three nights there. And, you know, at that time you're making 10, 15 bucks a game. You work three games in three hours. Yeah. And it was all cash. And it was like, wow, okay, okay. So he kind of got addicted to that, and I worked two, three, four nights a week there. And, and then um, Paul got me into the Metro Conference, you know, Cathedral, the Holy Names that had a school, and Paul the Six that had a school down South Omaha. And these are sort of some of these are, are pretty uh, cracker box, you know. Oh gosh, yeah. You know, Mount Michael. Those are fun like though. <laughs> Those were the funnest time. I, I thought it. You know, my dream was to work a state tournament. I never worked a state tournament, high school state tournament, state in Nebraska. I can remember they, Harry Forehand talking to my um, talking to the head guy at uh, Lincoln, and it was a district tournament, and uh, and I had been in it for four, three, four or five years because you had to be in it for five years and take the test and do all that stuff, and I passed all that stuff. But and I can remember him asking Harry, "You think that kid's is he ready? Is he ready yet?" He said, and I remember Harry Forehand telling him, "I was in the shower." He said, "If you don't get him now, you'll never get him." And then the next year, that's when I got hired in in uh, the Missouri Valley North Central Conference, the old North Central, where you know, all my fun gosh, gyms. North Dakota, North Dakota State games, South Dakota, South Dakota State, when they dead jackrabbits and we'd come throwing on the court and <laughs> crazy time. That was fun. I miss the NCC. Oh, I do too. I love that. Was great basketball. The travel was brutal, especially on you always play a Friday, Saturday night. 
and uh, the game snowstorms. snowstorms and getting stuck and oh gosh, but their games are great. It was fun. I'm going to ask this question in, in probably a couple different forms um, throughout our conversation, but if if I'm playing basketball, if I'm playing football, I know when I'm good, right? Mm-hmm. I know if I'm good. Mm-hmm. How did you know you were good? Well, probably because I got co- supervisors calling me to um, ask me to work their leagues, um, starting in in high school uh the colleges you know they uh, the first camp i went to one camp in my life and um davy phillips an officiating camp camp. they have missouri valley conference yeah yep and it was davy phillips was the ball was the boss at that time the the old uh, uh baseball umpire uh and first camp i've ever been to never worked three men before and i went and worked it and uh, i got hired out of that camp that doesn't directly answer the question though like <laughs> how did you define good versus not good at that age um you know i watch guys i watch guys on tv and i i watch their games and i'll i taped a few of them and i watched them and i see if they got plays right and um uh, you know I, I you can tell if a guy has that it or if he doesn't have it uh, whether or not he has courage to make that call in the in in the tough tough parts of the game, it, if a guy takes over a game, a referee will may take over a game, and I yeah I've had to do it several times, um, where you know you have that confidence and that ability to make the right call, the right play, and then um, once you coaches buy into you also. I think you, that, that makes you, you know, more confident. Number one, number two, it makes you believe that, yeah, hey, I must be pretty good. They come to me all the time. They talk to me all the time about this play, this play, this play, and um, you know, in, in the last twenty years, they, you get feedback from your leagues. You know, give me your report. Is it eighty percent, ninety percent, ninety-five percent, whatever, and and. Uh, you know, I, you know, when you don't miss a lot of plays, you think, ah, oh, I must be doing something right um, and getting it, more games. It's really tough, though, John, because basketball is a game where you can call a foul on every play. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not always, is this a foul or is this not a foul? It's the degree of relativity here. Right. That, that's that, judgment. That's tough. That's very tough. That's very tough. It's, it's, it's judgment. It's whether it's... In the flow of the game, or not in the flow of the game, I could call. You're right. You probably call fault on every play because there's somebody's touching somebody sometime. And at one time, when the rules were one page, Naismith broke the rules. I've you ever seen that? But it's one page, the the original rules. Now they're now it's a book of about three quarters of inches thick, and there's every rule and every exception to the rule that you have to know. But um, but yeah, you could call fault on every play. Um, but you have you have to decipher what is a foul, what isn't. What's impacting this play, what isn't. If a guy gets hit 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 on the wrist or the elbow on a shot, it's automatic. You got to call that a foul. Now, if there's a bump and it doesn't affect the play that much, it doesn't you know affect his rhythm, speed, balance, that kind of stuff, and you can pass on it. Yeah, 
Um, that's the stuff that you learn as you go. That you learn that as you go, and you know, it it's it's it has gotten to the point where they it's kind of they want it more black. Well, they don't want it more black and white, but it's gotten more black and white because of the video. Because you don't, I mean, everything on video you can't you can't misplace and get away with it. Back in the day, you could sell that call and act like you got that dang right, you dead right, but. <laughs> now you used to guys used to sell it all the time. What? But, give me an example. Oh, just on, on a block charge play, and it's I mean it's a, a quick play where he, it's absolutely he, you know he doesn't know you may you may be looking somewhere else, and all of a sudden you come back and a play happens like really quick, and you make a split second judgment and you call a block and you just oh hit your hit your hips three times, or just sell it and go offensive foul and. Now you can't do that anymore because they got replay in one second and they'll be able to see the guy's foot. His foot's in the circle. They're set two feet on the floor. Um, do you ever catch yourself looking at the replay? Up on the screen? Yeah. Every once in a while I will. Yeah. But, you know, you know, there are certain times you can go to the replay now. Right. So it doesn't. you can look at it, but you can – even I, if you look at it, it's funny. It's funny you say that. You look up in the. Doesn't matter if you get to play 100 percent right. The fans are still booing. Oh yeah. You get the fans. It's like wait a second. We got to play right, and 10,000 people are killing you because of the because they think you they they just think you got it wrong. I'm like wait a second. I I I just looked at the video. I looked at it. I saw it twice, and they're still booing me. I don't get. What's it feel like when you get it wrong? Oh, you feel like you know you feel like the lowest human being in 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 the world, but. (laughs) The, the one thing, when you do get it wrong, you can't lie your way out of it. You go tell hey, I missed the play. Do you say that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell them, hey, I missed it. I didn't see, Obviously, I didn't get the play right. Some of them, some of them probably accept that. Now, some of them don't. They'll accept it. Well, the thing is, it, it either diffuses them or you have to give them a technical foul. <laughs> because what, what can they say if you, hey, I got it wrong? They're going to continue to chew you out? I, I hope not. I mean, well, what else? they do. Well, most of the good ones don't because they get it. Now, you can't go over there and tell them three, four, or five times in the game, hey, I missed that play. Hey, I missed that play. Well, hey, you get somebody else in there that's not going to miss that play is what they'll say. So, But you, you time to time, you're going to say, hey, I might have kicked that play. Might have, might have made a wrong call. You were doing this, even at the college level, you were doing it in your late 20s. Mm-hmm. Was it different? Was it harder then when you know oh, yeah. people see a twenty-eight-year-old kid oh, yeah. running around? Oh yeah, because you you had no credibility at that time, and you're you look like you're the, you know you could play, still. Um, that was hard. That, the credibility part was hard. Earning that credibility and earning that credibility with other officials, where you, you know, you know, I'm at, now I'm to that point where the young guys come in, they look at me, and they're just they don't say anything. They just they want to be polite and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, God, am I that old now that I, these, these guys are looking at me like this? <laughs> well, so, you are old enough to be their dad. No, I, no, I believe me, I am. There are some guys I'm refereeing with. I, they're, jeez, Louise. So, um, uh, it, that part, but the credibility part is hard to earn. Um, I've gotten a lot of guys. Who were the scariest coaches back then? Norm Stewart, um, Johnny Orr. Billy Tuck. The big, the oh, big eight back in was unbelievable. Joe Harrington at Colorado, uh, Eddie Sutton. Eddie Sutton uh, I mean, they, but he he was he's he was pretty good. It was the Norm Stewart's and Johnny Orr. And, 
Did you have Danny Nee? Danny Nee, yeah, he was good. He was really good to me. I mean, he was good other other. He was one of the mild ones in the Big Eight back then. Uh, but I, that was a scary time. I ever had my very first Missouri um, Iowa State game was at Missouri, and Norm Stewart wanted to kill me, and, and uh, Ron Zetcher and uh, uh, Paul Paul Caster basically told him to knock it knock it off and keep, stay out, uh, quit talking to the young kid and. Yeah, he's doing he's doing a great job. Kids, he Norman Stewart knew exactly what he was doing. He's a very smart man, a very smart coach. He knew exactly what he you know he was trying to get under my skin. You got to get get calls for him. And those guys those guys really they 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 called the dogs off. And that's what they're supposed to, the veterans should do. And that's what I try to do with the young guys now. That's the hard part though, isn't it? When you got somebody chirping in your ear, yep. whether it's a head coach or fans. It's just it's human nature that, in some level, that influences you a little bit. Yes, but in, in, on the other end, you you still, especially with video now, it doesn't matter uh, if they influence you too much. You're not going to stay in the game very long. Mm-hmm. So if if you get a fans that influence you as a referee, your career is going to be short lived. Um, because it's it's there's proof in the pudding. I mean, they show the video and say, "Hey, you missed this call." And there's you know, why did you miss that call again? How'd you miss that call? Uh, so you, you you can't be influenced as a referee anymore. Uh, and it probably did at one time. I'm sure that happened a lot. And everybody talks about makeup calls and that kind of stuff. There's not really, I mean, people as far as referees go, there's not a you see a black and white. You either you adjudicate you got to adjudicate the rules as written, um, and what's and you got to be fair. Um, now, John, when I see one team with eight team fouls and another team with two team fouls, though, I can basically predict that the next three whistles are going against. I got I got some bad news for you. I do an <laughs> Iowa game. This is probably 15, 20 years ago, and after the game, we we don't know. We don't even know it. Iowa. This is before uh, Fran, and this is, I don't know, probably, it's its a long time ago. It wasn't Steve Alford. Tom Davis, maybe? I don't even think it was Tom Davis. Maybe it was, I don't know how. Lick lighter? Might have been one of those guys. So anyway, we worked a game, had no idea that Iowa did not shoot one free throw. You know, this <laughs> team shot t- like 23. Had no idea. And, and, and think about that. Not one free throw. And they and they ended up get they got beat they they played horrible but they didn't shoot one free throw so you know I I, I try you know the makeup call thing I, I I just I don't believe in that too often um, but the point is I see it the, the odds are at some point something like that's going to happen when oh, you do, sure. when you do enough games oh it happens all the time I and I my response to coach the coach say oh it's eight to three it's eight to two I said well quit following. Uh, all I'm here to do is to call call what I see, not not to try to even it up. That's not what my job is to do. Because if you get a team, say a team a team's playing zone, the other team's playing man, he's pressing, they're not pressing. You're going to have those discrepancies in fouls. That's just that's the way it is. Yeah. Uh, so I you know I don't even I don't think about it. Um, one more thing I wanted to ask you about the the old days. When I go back and watch games in the late 80s and early 90s, which is what I think was the glory years of college basketball, the absolute peak, uh, it was so much less physical. I mean, 
If yeah, a bump is a foul. Right. Hey, I mean, if it, you if you watch video, our NCAA guys in our meetings uh, sent, gave us video. This is probably two three years ago, where where they showed the game in the fifties, the forties, the fifties. The 60s, the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010, and back in the 50s, the guy, the defensive guy, was six foot away from the guy every time, every possession, and then it, every 10 years, you can see it. They get about a foot closer and foot closer and foot closer, and then in the 90s and 2000, it was it was belly button to belly button. Yeah, and now we're trying to go back to where it's freedom of movement. Where it's not the biggest, strongest guys uh, in the post and outside that are, you know, it's, it's they're trying to get away from the physicality of the game. Is it Make working? It I think it has been. Um, the hand checking, the ten one four, the post play stuff. We're trying to trying to clean up. But it's made it really hard on officials. It's because, been hard on officials because you can. I mean, it's you can literally call sixty fouls in a game. Oh yeah, I mean, and then and then it's our fault. Fans get mad, and the coaches get mad, but the coaches are the ones that write the rules. We don't write the rules. Yeah. What was what was your big break? You think? Probably when Jim Bain, Boomer Bain, was a supervisor for Missouri Valley Conference. He went to first time he ever watched me referee, and he just got the job. David Phillips got hired after three years. I think he was done. Jim Bain got the job. I don't know if you know who Jim Bain is. He was a longtime referee, bald guy. He was on TV all the time back in the day, back in the 80s. Worked the Olympics. Um, he worked Final Four, three, four Final Fours. He was he was the man. He had big – He he's just passed away this last week. In fact, yesterday I was going to see him. And uh, he passed away last week. God bless him. He was a wonderful man. He was a great teacher. So anyway, I was referee. I, 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 he was coming to see me referee, and it was only my it was a, a non-conference game in Northern Iowa, and I happened to whack the coach, and he gave him a technical. He gave yeah, I gave him a technical foul. He absolutely loved it. He thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. That same year, I only had three games, beginning of the year. By end of the year, I had three more games, and I worked the Valley Tournament. You only had three. Three no. Missouri Valley Conference okay. games. They're all non-conference, and I didn't have any any uh, league games. What but other it, games were you doing? North Central Conference, okay. NAI around here, that kind of stuff. Okay. So that year, he gave me three more league games, and I worked a Valley tournament back when it was in the old the old Checker Dome, um, and I've worked a Valley tournament every year since. The following year, he gave me like 15, 18 games. And then, then that, you know, so it was he, he gave me my big my the biggest break that, that I because you can you can get into some of these leagues, it's the difference between getting in, and then staying in, and then and then, uh, uh, and getting a bunch of games. And there's a lot of guys who've been in for five ten years that get five ten games here here and there, but they don't ever expand their schedules, and that's a hard that's a hard part. But that following year, I got hired in by John Erickson Big Eight Conference, mm. and then you know once you once you get into those things and you get on TV and uh, people recognize uh, your abilities and it kind of explodes from there. But Jim Bain was my guy. You don't mind you don't mind whacking guys. That's what he taught us. He says it, um, he he taught us a lot about 
uh, whacking coaches if they deserve. They says we don't we, we don't call them. They call themselves. I don't know if you, the, the technicals the, call themselves. They call themselves. He, he would always say, it's another play in the game. You adjudicate the rules the way they're supposed to be written, and they'll call themselves. You don't have to go look for them because there's plenty of them to get. I, you know, I could probably have more, but I'm, I'm kind of perceived out there as being, um, I give more than most people do. I know that. Um, so, you know, and coaches, most coaches know that. Uh, and, and I think it's, if they do what they're supposed to do and, and coach their teams, I don't, I don't have issues with coaches. That's as much of a judgment call as anything in the game, though, isn't nah, it? Not, not really. No. If they say the right thing, it's not a judgment. It's, there's no... What's the right thing? You know, they say something personal, you know, about the call, about your partner, about you... Um, there's, 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 uh, you just know when it happens. What can they say? Oh, I mean, if, if not everybody in the arena hears it, sometimes I'll, I'll give it to them. Okay. I, I, I won't give them a technical file. I'll let it go and I'll say, hey, cool it, stop. You, there's your warning. Um, if, if he's talking like you and I are talking right now, and nobody else can hear it. I have no. I, I, I can take a lot of stuff, uh, but when it's out there and, and everybody in the world can see it, and he's going to embarrass me. Sorry, that doesn't that doesn't work. Some coaches have a knack for. Uh, I mean, I don't want to get into all the specific guys, but I mean, I think for instance, Greg McDermott could because he's six eight, and because you know he he could. I think he could rack up a whole bunch of them if he had a different personality. But, you know, some guys seem to handle officials pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, some guys, it's like they never get the knack for it. Right, and those those coaches usually don't last that long. Um, Greg's a great on the sideline, I, and I don't work him much. I worked him back when he had at Wayne State College in North Dakota and Northern Iowa. I worked at a lot of those games. Uh, he's got a really good knack with, with officials. He's got a good rapport. He can be funny, but he can be serious. Um, and when you miss one, he's kind of more likely to... He, he'll get at, he'll get after you a little bit. But, but it's it'll more be, like, hey, you know, what the right, heck? Right, no, right. And he's good. He's good about it, it which is... Because he knows he's going to miss... He's going to make a bad decision coaching the game. Players can make make a bad decision playing the game. I mean, how many turnovers, how many fouls? Those are all bad decisions. Uh, I, that's the one thing I always say is, as an official, you're, if you're not ninety percent above, you're they think you're a bum. If you're a coach and you win 70 percent of games, you're in the Hall of Fame. And if you're a player, you shoot fifty percent, you're in the Hall of Fame. But if you're a referee, you're below that ninety percent range. Boy, you're a bum. So, but Greg has got a he's he's got a great knack of uh, with with officials and and rapport and respect um, that a lot of coaches, uh, the good ones, I believe, learn to deal with. Because you're not, you, you, officials are trying to get all the plays right. They're not trying to screw anybody. Was there a coaching retirement over the years that you sort of took a sigh of relief on? Oh, yeah, there's yeah, there's several. Then they can go back to their schools. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there are several. I'm not going to give you names, but there, was, there, there have been. How are you evaluated? Do you get a? Do you get a? We a, get a game a report or something like yeah, that. Yeah, we get a game report. Like the NCAA will go out during the year 
and evaluate evaluate guys. You know, like I'll get 15 or 20 from the NCAA, but every game gets evaluated by people in the Big 12, the Mountain West, the Pac-12, the SEC, ACC. They all have their evaluations, and they'll do a you know 20. You know they'll go over every single play. I could show you a deal where they'll show you every play, every play you got. They'll give you. A, no call incorrect, correct call, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a marginal play, 50-50, you know, all those things, whether, and they, and they rate you on those plays. There may be, most of the times when we blur a whistle, we're pretty good. It's when we don't blur a whistle, we're not very good. And those are when you get your incorrect calls. Have you ever had a perfect game? You're never going to have a perfect game. From an, now, from an evaluation Yes, standpoint. I have from an evaluation standpoint, but I'm like, I know there's there's at least two plays or three plays I know I missed in the game. I know I missed. But it's in the eyes of the beholder sometime. Uh, and you're always gonna, you're going to miss a foul here or there. You're going to miss a foul. Or you're going to miss a travel. Do you think the game is called differently in the last 30 seconds? Mm, and should it be? No, I don't think so. I really don't. Because um, a foul's a foul. That's one of the biggest things with fans I think and coaches. right right yeah and I, I don't I, I really don't honestly don't think it's called any differently now there 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 may be a bump if it uh, if it doesn't affect the play that might get passed on maybe um, but a foul's a foul the shot it doesn't matter if there's second left or that's that's when you got to make that's when that's when you make it in the officiating world when you make that last second call I I remember at a game I don't know what year, what, you know, a couple years ago, where I had a, I come from a long ways away and I got a play, and luckily I was I was correct on the play. It was a pushing back. Otherwise, team's going to score. And what I did, I took the basket away, went the other uh, other direction with under a second to go, and was a triple overtime game, and and uh, the team lost. Wow. Well, I got to play right. Um, so well, you just hold your breath, though. Don't you? No, you hold your breath. Go, God, I hope I got that play right. Because I mean, there's been times you get the plays wrong. Um, What's the biggest? You call? just hope you just hope that it doesn't happen in that last. Minute. What's the biggest call you've ever missed? Oh boy! Biggest call I ever missed. Oh, it was probably oh when, when Creighton played Iowa when that last second shot. Although we had an alibi for that, and I told the coaches before the game. The Creighton I when uh, um, five years ago, right, or something yeah, like that. Well, when no, had, it was it was uh, Greg's first year. Uh, where they they have they they played that tournament or that one game or whatever it was there, and uh, they had no video, no monitors, any of that kind of stuff. I told them both their games, and hey, something happens in this game. We have no video, no monitor. Of course, then they go they go back to the video, and that was the last second shot. The kid made it, and we count. I count the basket. And of course, it was. They show it, and it was in his. Obviously, it was in his hands, so it shouldn't have counted. And it, so, uh, Greg sent me the text with the picture of the ball in the hand. I was like, oh, jeez. But those are really hard. Oh, they're, those are the hardest plays. That's why. That's why they have video. That's why they have it. And I told him before the game, no video. It's out of our hands. Of course, we go back. If you go back and listen to it, the ball, the the shot clock and the horn are not in sync. If you hear the you hear the horn, the ball's in the air. And we go off of as officials. We're going off the horn. You have to. Yeah. You can't. There's no everybody. I can remember supervisors. 
in the last five, ten years, we say you gotta, you gotta have, gotta have, be watching the clock. I said, how am I gonna watch the clock and watch him shoot the ball? Right. It's impossible. I can't, can't split my eyes. So our first note is, I mean, you're gonna listen to the horn and watch the ball release from his hands. Um, that's the only way you can get the play right. Do you and, remember the Kenny Anderson one in the 1990 NCAA tournament where they they beat Michigan State and it was late? They counted it. It was the Sweet 16. Oh Sweet yeah. 16 game. yeah, 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 yeah. I do remember that. Can you train yourself, John? I mean, can on you, that on stuff like no, that? No, it's just you either have that it thing or you don't have that it thing. You Isn't have that it. Something? I, I, it's like you know, you it's the, the uh, Michael Jordan. You know, he okay, he got cut from his high school team. He had he had it though, and he was going to have it someday. And nobody taught him to be as great as he was. Nobody told Le, taught LeBron James to be as great as he was. He's just that guy um and and people have that skill tom brady's the you know they, they just have that thing and that's not taught so how do you judge i mean i'm going to ask the, the question again in a slightly different form when did you go from being a good ref to a great ref how did it happen or, or where did you see it where, I, do, where do people see it i think and when i got in, into the valley tournament and um I'd take over a game once, and I, and uh, and it was probably twenty plus years ago. And you and took over. A game. I I kind of take over a game. My my partners didn't uh, didn't seem like they're on the same page, and I know my boss wasn't happy with them. And I and I took over the game, and uh, I it just seemed like I had to come out of Mary get plays where we weren't getting and we weren't doing the right things, and and. Uh, and, and at that point, I felt like I had I've gotten better, and I've gotten to that point where I'm not not that uh, one of the three guys on the court. I felt I was the best guy in the court of that game. Uh, now, yeah, I'm not the best guy in the court of the game, uh, but there are. You, you, but when you have that feeling, I think you. And I can't tell you what you know if it was five years, ten years. I don't. But I, how do you I, define it? Like, is it control of a situation? Kind it, of, yeah. Okay. It's not always just getting calls right. No, it's not always about it's game, game. There's a big deal about game management. Okay. Now, officiating, the, the lords in the officiating world want it all to be about black and white and getting the play right, which is, is a big deal. You've got to get the plays right. Otherwise, you won't, you won't last. But you've got to be able to manage that game also. Manage the coaches. Manage the table. Uh, manage your other officials. That's a that's a big part of it. It's sort of like being a good teacher versus a bad. You know, no, right. some teachers just have it. No, know? right. No, some teachers have it. Some of them don't have it, and that's why I always call that it. It's a it's just a word it, and I think it's. I don't. I, it's hard to describe what that it is. It just you have that ability to to respond to. Uh, you know what happens in a situation you get and get those things correct doesn't matter if it's in you know writing uh, uh, it doesn't matter if it's in your business or if it's in officiating or playing it's it's you have that the knack to get that thing right so can you tell me about your first final four 2009 Detroit right? it was in, yeah uh-huh I was uh it was it, our NCAA boss came in and said hey um no worries. I know it's the first Final Four, but there's um, there's only seventy thousand people out there, and there's sixty like sixty or seventy million people uh, watching on TV. You just like 
I have to go to the restroom real quick. <laughs> so and you when you walk out, you're just it's it's wild to see that many people at a basketball game. It's unnatural. It's unnatural. It's it is, you normally go into a ten fifteen thousand seat arena and and but it's it's it was nerve wracking. But once the ball goes up, it's like another game. Really? Yeah. Yeah. After. I shouldn't say that. I should say after you make that first, have that first whistle, and you know you know you got that play right. Okay, I can do this. It's just another game. Um, but it was like it was like that. At first, I was I was scared to death. Uh, but once you get into it and you get that first whistle and the first play call, and you know you're correct on it, you're you settle in and and you're you're it's 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 still nerve wracking, but it's nothing like. And then when you're done, you're like. Ugh. I finished it, and I did. You know, there's no controversy. Knock on wood, um, and there hasn't been really anything. Would you rather happen. have a 30 point game in a setting like that? No, I'd rather have a. I'd rather have a close game because you're more focused. 30 point game, you could, you know, that's when you lose your focus in the 10, 20, 30 point games. So I'd rather have a close game. Concentration is a big part of it, huh? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've referenced oh, yeah. that a couple times. Oh yeah. Concentration is a big part of it because there's a lot to know. There's so many things that go on in the basketball game as far as officiating are concerned that you don't nobody nobody knows about. Coaches don't know about. You mean the but, rules? Oh, the rules and the coaches don't know hardly any of the rules. You could I could tell them some things <laughs> in a game and they could believe you until they end up going back out going looking it up because most of them don't know all the rules and they'll tell you that. I get calls from. Uh, People, coaches, a lot of times, not, not just college coaches, high school coaches and other coaches have asked me the rules, certain rules. I'm like, you thinking they should know them, but they don't know them. And there's a, obviously the fans don't know them. The media doesn't. Media knows more probably than um, a lot of coaches Thank and players. Thank you, John. Know. I appreciate that. No, they seriously, they, I'm, I'm dead serious. They know, they, they look it up. They look it up. Coaches, they, they coach, they teach their players to play. They don't teach them a lot about the rules. The toughest call in basketball is what? I can think of a quick out-of-bounds call as a lead official opposite you or the last second shot. Well, the first one is what? A quick out-of-bounds play when you're the lead official opposite where you're at. Like the ball gets tipped and goes out-of-bounds real fast oh, okay. between two players. It's it's almost you, you, you got to react. It's a, it's hard. It's the hardest play in basketball. I don't. Everybody talks about the block charge play. I don't think it's block charge play. Is you do what you're supposed to do in that block charge play. What are you watching for on block charge? Man, there feet. were a lot of years where it drove me crazy how many charges were called in college basketball. You got to watch the feet. You got to watch watch feet, especially now with the restricted area play. Um, you but know, but I got the feeling like if if a, if a player, you know, even. Not as much today. I think officials are getting better about it. But it, it seems like if, if the feet are outside, it's like they're calling a charge. It doesn't matter, you know. It's like there's just too many things to watch on that play. Is there's that a lot of things to watch. you got to make sure that, you know, that, that depends on which way the, the offensive player is going. But you got to referee the defense to get those plays correct. you got to make sure there's two feet on the floor. They're, you know, facing the opponent. Uh, who initiates a contact because sometimes an offense guy can put his shoulder down, just put his arm out. Uh, it's whether guy's in a legal guarding position. If he's in a legal guarding position, because those are they are hard plays. I'm not saying they're not hard. There's probably I would say they're number three down the list of hard plays. Do you like 
the last two minutes of a game having replay available or not? Yeah, I th- well, I think it interrupts the flow of the game. Uh, I do. I, I you like it because to get the play right um, in the last two minutes, but I don't like it because it's. I think it's taken the natural part of the game away as officiating goes. It really slows it down. Slows too. it down. The players don't get in the same rhythm. Might might slow a team down. Say they're on a run and something happens. That team all of a sudden they get out of sync. Uh, so yeah, you're a fan because as an official because you know you're going to get the play right because you can go look at it on the monitor. If it's by rule, you can look at the monitor. But for the game, I don't think it's any. I don't think it's good for the game. When's the last time you didn't know a rule on the court? Oh boy, you every year you're going to come up with something. You scratch your head about. Wait a second. It, when it's usually those finite rules that you don't that it's deep in the book. Can you give me an example? Oh, golly. It's like when you have, you know, a, a, a dead ball, like maybe a dead, dead ball foul, and then you had a, but you had a live ball foul before the dead ball, and then a, then you had a kick. You know, there's so many different scenarios that you could have um, where you don't really know the rule, and then you think, we, we got to do what's best for the game. And then go back and look at it and figure it out. Now, you know, we and we go over that. We go over the rules before the game a lot, especially the rules. You know, we go. I ask the officials, "What has happened in your games that were out of the ordinary? Hmm. What rules were out of the ordinary that you that that uh, uh, we need to talk about?" That could happen, and it does. They they may happen once every five years or ten years. Right. And when they happen, you got to be ready for them because you get them wrong, you get it's it's a big deal. Now there's you know you're gonna kick a play here and there, but the rule part is where you you got to hang your hat on. Yeah. And I luckily you know knock on the wood I haven't have any nothing major that has ever happened with a rule. Loudest arena in college basketball. Loudest arena in college basketball. I would probably say um, the loudest arena I was ever in was that I had Kansas Oklahoma a few years ago in that triple overtime game. You couldn't hear any you couldn't, you couldn't hear the other referees whistle. Uh, Oklahoma State's arena, when it was when it was full, was would was as loud as any I've ever been in. Before they expanded it. No, even when, after they out. expanded too. Um, that they both are. I mean, when it's full and it's a it's a big house and it's uh, Oklahoma. It doesn't matter who they're. Oklahoma State when they're good, it's as loud as any place in the country. Um, yeah, those two are probably the two loudest. Best player you've ever officiated. Uh, best player Kevin Durant. I had uh, Devin, uh, um, Dwayne Wade's pretty dang good too. Um, uh, oh, the kid for um, place for uh, L.A. Not the Lakers, but play for Oklahoma. Blake. Blake Griffin, he's pretty dang good. But probably best player, Kevin Durant. You know it when you see it, though. Oh, Maybe. the first time you saw him. Well, the first Dwayne Wade, the first time I ever had him. It was at Mark. It was in a tournament, and I thought, and I had Marquette like two, three times a year before. I said, "God, who's that number 20? I think it was number twenty. I'm like, "God, that guy's lighting it up." I don't know who that guy was. And that was Dwayne Wade that year, and I think he did. He play one year or two years. Might have played two. And he and they uh, he took him to Final Four, and he was he was a really good basketball player. Best game you've ever officiated? Probably the. Uh, 
the finals game in the uh, um, when the Villanova uh, uh, game, North Carolina. The, North Carolina Villanova, two couple years ago, two three years ago, where he hit the last second shot. Um, and prior to that, it was the Oklahoma Kansas game went triple overtime in the same year. Now that's uh, uh, you don't usually have that in the same year, but that was the best game, the funnest game uh, I've ever had. Uh, the the rule that you would change if you could. Oh, uh, I would probably say, well, there's several rules I could change. You could change. I think would be better. I think the six fouls would make it better for 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 people because they think after two fouls you got you know you got to immediately take these guys out. And what about three per half? I don't mind. I, I don't mind that. And I I think the ten minute quarters would be better. Why? Reset reset the clock. It would go quicker. Reset the clock at ten, like they do in the women's. You know, men's NCAA men's is the only basketball in the world that plays twenty minute halves. The only one. Reset the shot. Reset the uh, fouls at at uh, after ten minutes. Just wipe them off the board, and you'll shoot less free throws. Uh, you, you know, you won't have that free throw shooting contest. So, and I, I think that's a chance. Someday, maybe before I retire, that um, they they will go to that. Uh, funniest coach? Oh boy, funniest coach was um, uh, Barry Henson, <laughs> Missouri State. He's the funniest guy out there. I mean, he has a, some of the funniest one-liners that you. <laughs> he is he's tremendous too. He's a really 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 good guy. Um, but you're, he's probably the funniest. You'll coach. catch yourself laughing sometimes. Oh gosh, yeah, all the time. Now, Huggins can be funny, too. Really? Oh, yeah. Believe it or not. Everybody thinks he's just chewing your butt all the time. But he's really not. He's a pretty funny guy. Uh, the best heckle you've ever heard? Oh, oh, the one guy says, oh, uh, great. Uh, he says, hey, Higgins, great hair, so-so calls. Uh, he, said, he says it every time I ever see him. And I see And they were, were like, got to be referee friends with uh, fans and you get that somewhere around the country every arena you have those guys and um, well you know what's funny and again I hate to I hate to make sports writer parallels here but you can get a heckler who just goes at you goes at you goes at you if you acknowledge them in some way it changes the relationship completely totally changes it. isn't that something there's a guy at Oklahoma State he he's been throwing us several times and I've thrown them out before. You've and, thrown out a fan? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've yeah, several fans. Uh, threw out a, in Missouri, uh, Illinois game, threw out a whole front row um, <laughs> in St. Louis Arena. And they were really bad. Um, anyway, he was he was a very wealthy guy. And there's, oh, I'll show you another San Diego State guy. He was, the, he's one of the, I think he owned the In N Out Burger Place or one of those big hamburger places. He's front row. And, uh, and we both these guys had throw out in their share. You sure you want to throw that guy out? I said, Yeah, I'm sure. I don't care who I don't know who he is. I don't care who he is. Um, but now those two guys that I've thrown out, every time I go there, they shake my hand and they because I think what happened is they respect what I did because they know they were in the wrong. Um, and both of them are they're like they waving at me, shake, come down, shake my hand. We're like we're best buddies. So Tell me about you threw out a whole row. Whole row at uh, Illinois. Uh, what happened? Missouri game. Oh, that. Well, first of all, they were inebriated. Imagine that. Yeah, imagine that at Illinois uh, uh, Missouri game. 
And uh, Missouri fans. They were Missouri <clears throat> fans. Yeah. I'm going to say this, so you don't have to say it. Missouri fans in almost every sport are among the worst people on earth. That is funny you say that. My the guy that runs my company, he he when I'm gone, he is the biggest Missouri fan. Doesn't matter what sport it is, basketball, football, doesn't matter. He thinks they he lives and dies Missouri. He's got everything in his office, Missouri. And I said, he's got a poster up on the up on the wall that's really hilarious. I said, they beat us in a regular season game. Nebraska football. I said, well, that's not bad. You're about, you, that's about 25, 30% of the time you beat beat Nebraska. That, but you have a poster of that. It's not like they won the national championship or anything. I don't think they won the league, but you have a poster, a big poster of that. So I always give them heck about <laughs> Missouri fans. I said, they they cheer, they celebrate those little things that they because they can't celebrate anything else. Right. But they're tough fans. They're tough. Um, um, Although I, I like some of the sports guys, the, the radio guys are really good guys. Mike Kelly's a really good guy there. I don't know if you know who he is, but uh, but they're tough fans. I'll say that. But oh, I love what you said that about that because Trent in my office is he's a diehard Missouri guy, and I tell him that all the time. He said they're the worst. They're just the worst, just to get under his grill. Okay, so, so St. Louis Arena, uh, Missouri fans in the front row. What yeah. happened? Well, they they they. I think they called me some. You know, called me uh, some names that were uh, they shouldn't be calling anybody. They called me a cheater, and they called me a you know a queer, and this and that, and your hair, and this and that. And so finally, I had enough after about right in the beginning of the second half. And so I threw out the whole rule. And the lady, the security people, that are the first. I went to the security people, which I wasn't supposed to do. I was supposed you're supposed to go to game management first. And finally, I said that whole row, and there's probably there's like ten or twelve people. It was a front row. Out. See you later. They got them all out. I'll give them credit. They got them all out. Um, but they were, they were, and then I end up, I had a T, Bruce Weber, and uh, in that game, it was just one of those hard Missouri Illinois games. Uh, and I think, I don't know, I think Missouri ended up coming out, coming back and winning. I'm not sure, but that was, uh, that was interesting. People really don't understand that you don't care who wins, do they? No, it's they don't. Amazing. No, they don't understand. They don't. They, they think you have a vested interest in, in in each team, which you know you can you can't officiate if you can, for this long to even have an idea of thinking you, you know you have a favorite team. You can't. You just don't. I don't have a favorite. I don't have a favorite college team. I don't care who wins. I, I could I could care less. That's not my job. Uh, but fans think that's 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 a case. In fact, there's uh, my kids. My older kids would tell me, Dad, you know, there's websites out there that. Oh, or, uh, that uh, oh, you know the Texas people think you cheat for Oklahoma, and Oklahoma people think you cheat for Texas, and the Baylor people think you cheat for Kansas, and the Kansas people think you cheat for Kansas State, and you know it's hey, if everybody hates you, you're doing something right. That's exactly right. It's a sign of a good referee. They don't, nobody likes you. So, except your hopefully your family. <laughs> uh, the, the biggest change in thirty years is what? Media. Really. Yeah, social media. Social media. Social media. Yeah, in video, social media, video is the biggest change. Game still, the 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 court's still the same. Kids are most for the most part are you the hear, same. You hear about people not wanting to get into it as much. I hear about it in football. You know, football officiating numbers are down. On uh, basketball, all soccer, all them are way down. 
in a, sorry to take your fire there. No, but, I appreciate it. But in it's, it starts from the lower level. I have a 10, 11 year old and uh, a, a couple years ago and I, I got to go to a, his game on a Saturday during basketball season and I had a game that night and one of our parents was killing this referee which is getting 20 bucks out there and he was, he was doing an okay job, doing fine, but he's working the fifth, fourth, fifth grade basketball game. It might have been fourth grade. And he was killing him. And finally, I said, I couldn't take it. I said, sir, he made the right call. And the guy screamed, what do you know about basketball? And I, did, I stopped. I didn't say anything. I, I, was, I was ready to jump out of my shoes. And, uh, and he's on, on our team. This is a, so later that night, I, well, I have to leave after his game. I drive to my game. and work in the Kansas-Iowa State game. It's on ESPN. And uh, they were evidently, they had the game on, and, they, and Jay said, there's my dad. And, uh, and evidently, the, all the parents and the kids were around, and, and the, the parents of the, of the uh, player were extremely embarrassed that they, it's what it showed, they, did, they had no idea what I, <laughs> that I refereed college basketball. So That's good. But it's, but it's, it's it, the lower levels, I see it in their games. That's what, I'm, that's what I was getting to is that it's every game and it's, and it's like life or death for these, these parents that, that go out and that, that do this at these third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. They all think their kid's going to be the next think, LeBron James. You don't think it used Sorry to be that. like that? No. I, I don't remember it being like that. When I started, I mean, I did that age level. You might have a coach say something here or there, but I don't remember it being like that. Not with every parent. Um, not every parent. I shouldn't say every parent. But, but when I don't think it was like that. I, I, I you know, I, there's so many um, select what I, what they call select sports now, uh, and people pay the money. They think because I pay the money, I think my kid's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm sorry, not everybody's. You know, they're not going to be. You're gonna coach, you're gonna officiate your last game uh, at some point in the next ten years. Pro- oh yeah, five years. It may be five. My wife wants me to be it this year, so we'll see. You never know. What's what's your perfect last game? Oh, just going out where where um, you don't make you don't screw up the game. That's my perfect last. Is game. Is there a perfect place though? Like, is there no, a place you want to do it? Not really. Really? No. No, I mean, there's a lot of great places to go to, but there's not a perfect place. I mean, you'd you'd want to go work in the national championship game, but it, you know, in by the time I'm, you know, if I go in five or ten years now, I won't be working the national championship game my last year. You think you'll I'll be, be over too, the hill? I'll probably be over the hill. I don't. I still knock on wood. I have my legs still feel good, my body feels good. I stay pretty dang good shape um i don't know just just don't screw something up here all my your last game is all over espn thanks for listening to where i come from this is the last episode of the second season but you can access our full library of episodes at omaha.com podcasts or your favorite podcast app we will be working on a third season for the next few months If you have feedback or suggestions, please send them to dirk.chattowain at owh.com. If you'd like to leave a review of this podcast, please do so on your podcast app. Most of all, thanks for listening. We'll be back in a few months.